Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Fan Show with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger of Gunnerstown. And Dave, we've got news. We've got confirmed news, which is quite something. Freddie Jungberg has been appointed as Arsenal assistant coach. Are you excited? I'm very excited. It worst kept secret in uh, in Arsenal <laughs> uh, in Arsenal social media the last few weeks. No, no, it's, it's absolutely brilliant news for all the reasons we sort of discussed last week, really. Uh, and they've reiterated quite a lot of that in the in the club statement around, you know, bringing the youth through. People will see it as a positive, though the moaners will see it as a negative because obviously they want you know they want us to be spending money we haven't got. Uh, I personally, as a match going fan, quite like the idea of seeing a few of our youngsters coming through. I'm sure. Most fans enjoy seeing homegrown talents playing with a smile on their face and a cannon on the chest, you know, so all good. Mm, the, and Freddie's a very popular character, let's well, face it. Well, of course. And the other side of this move is that Steve Bould, who had been in that role, is now going to take charge of the under-23 team. Do you think he'll be happy with that? I think he will, actually. I know I've just been reading a lot of the Twitter stuff and people are saying, oh, it's a demotion, it's a demotion. And yes, of course, on paper, it's a demotion. But people forget, actually, before Pat Rice retired and Steve Bold was offered the job, you know, at the end of the day, footballers didn't earn a fortune when Steve Bold was playing. It was a massive pay increase. He took the job, probably knowing that he wasn't going to have much hands-on coaching because Wenger wasn't allowing it. Obviously, he didn't wouldn't have known that Emery equally probably wasn't going to allow him much hands-on. And he was an award-winning coach. You know, the Arsenal won the FA Youth Cup under him, two leagues, and they, they were a winning side that he produced a lot of talent. The likes of Coquelin, Wilshere came through on his watch. So he has credentials. He's great at coaching young players. People have just forgotten that. So he, he'll probably he'll probably want to go back to that, I'm sure. You know, but it's a demotion, if that's what you want to paint it as. The combination of having Bull back in that role and now having Jungberg, who knows the current crop very well, working with the senior team, has been billed by the club as a chance to do what they call create a transition team. So bring them fluidly through from the under-23s to that starting eleven. Do you think that'll actually happen? It certainly sounds good. Um, I well, when I don't, I don't think anything in any modern Premier League side is going to change that much. You're not going to see a mass of, of young players come through because it's just so instant, instant the demands of Premier League success. However, I think there are times, you know, in history where you get a crop of players that are just that good that they may just make the breakthrough. Now, it's not going to happen on the scale it did with Arsenal in the late 80s through Don Howe into George Graham took advantage and it's not going to happen like it did at Man United famously in the 90s. But there are certainly, you know, if you look at five or six players in the Arsenal Academy right now, if three came through, that would be a massive success in the Premier League in this day and age. It just doesn't happen very often, not in the top half of the table, certainly. So why not? I'm sure the fans would like to see it. Are there any three who you think could do it? Who would you go for? Well, I think I think Nelson's the obvious one. I'm really looking forward to seeing him play tomorrow night for the England 21s. I, I personally like Joe Willock a lot, but I, mm. I don't know. Mesut uh, Ertzel doesn't, I no, assume, no, anymore. No. I like Willock. Uh, I like what I saw of Emil Smith-Rowe. We've got to remember that Barcelona have been sniffing around him for years, so they don't sniff around players unless they spot you know something that other clubs don't see necessarily. So you've got Smith Rowe, you've got Willock. I like the look of Saka in the in the limited amount I've seen of him. We don't have that sort of uh, 
winger is going to run at a player. So Nelson and Saka both bring that. A lot of the Arsenal fans are talking about Amici, who I can't comment knowledgeably about, but again, in the same bracket. So there are certainly, and of course, we've got um, we've got Bielek, who will also we talk about later because he'll be on show for Poland and he's had a great season. But it is a big jump from you know League One to the Premier League. But we'll 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 see in pre-season. Mm, a big step up, certainly. Christian Bielek has been very, very good on loan at Charlton. He, of course, came out and said, the one thing I'm definitely not going to do is go back to the Arsenal under-23s. If there's no chance of at least training with the first team, I'm going to have to assess my options. How likely is he to break in? Again, I think it's all going to come down to what we see in pre-season. He's, I believe, in the last year of his contract. So I think a decision is going to have to be made this summer. And if he's pushing for a decision, I think a lot will be determined by how he plays in the next two or three games for the, the Poland under-21s because that's that's when they're going to see him at a slightly higher level. Because I'm assuming, looking at what I've seen so far, some of the under-21 standards going to be higher than League One, certainly. So he's going to be looking to raise his game. Some of the clips I saw of the game that he played the other day were fantastic. He looked very, very accomplished on the ball, as he did for Charlton. But I think, I think it will be a decision time this summer. I don't think they're going to let him run down the contract because he's too good for that. Let's talk about Jungberg, the man, for a moment. You mentioned, of course, how popular he is at the Emirates, how popular he was at Highbury. 46 goals in 214 games. Where does he rank for you? Um, I think a lot of people forget that the 2001-2002 season, which in my view is Arsenal's greatest ever season, personally, um, that double was the Invincibles, the Invincibles. You can't take that away from Arsenal, but we, we let go some players who were replaced by lesser players. You can't compare Colo Torre to Tony Adams. In my book, Jens Lehmann is not as good as David Seaman. So mm. the side in 2002 was probably at its absolute peak. And he played a starring role. And not only did he play a starring role all season, but then he stepped it up to a completely different level from March to May when Perez, who was Players Player of the Year, Football Writers Player of the Year, got injured. Lundberg not only stepped up, but he actually changed position. So he moved from the right to the left, played in Perez's position. And then I think he scored, I think it was the first Arsenal player to score eight goals in consecutive Premiership games in the run-in that season. He was involved in the final goal at Old Trafford when Will Tord scored. He was just everywhere that season. And, of course, then he scored that absolute perler in the FA Cup final. So When I think of him, I find him very hard to explain quite exactly what kind of player he was. Is there anyone currently playing in the Premier League who you think is in some way like Jungberg? Crikey, you put me on the spot there. Could have briefed me on that one. <laughs> um, but it is so hard to do. I'm not expecting you to well, be able when, to do when, it. Well, when we signed him, uh, I think everyone... In in Sweden, he'd been playing, if you like, as a attacking central midfield player behind the striker, and he played a lot of that role for Sweden. Wenger had that; he did it a lot. He signed attacking central midfield players and then converted them to wide men. You know, he'd already done it. You know, he'd done it with Perez. He did it with Lundberg. Subsequently, he did it with Riziki. He did it with Kleb. He did it with a lot of players, and you, you know, so he he made them play in his that time four four two. So I think don't think Freddie was a natural winger. And he used to cut inside and, and join the striker very easily. The player who actually had one season very similar to him, and, and obviously Ramsey fans didn't like it, but when Ramsey played out on the right in 2015, when Coquelin and Asante were playing in the middle, that was a very similar role. You know, you had a central midfield player playing wide on the right who, who, who could stick to the byline defensively, but really had a very free role going forward. And that's what Freddie had. So there certainly are teams that play like that. But... Not so much in a four four two, so it's quite unusual to compare it today. There mm. aren't really players necessarily that I can think of off the top of my head. But yeah, I mean just not only a natural talent, but 
the work work rate like I'd never seen really. Mm. I mean, there were he was breaking records. There was a game against Inter Milan where I think he ran something like eleven point six kilometers in a game, and then heat it. it was just uh, he just ran and ran and ran and never gave up. Um, so yeah, no, it'll be a very popular appointment. And it just, but what's going to be interesting to see is the proof will be in the eating. When how much <laughs> of a role is he actually given? Because yeah. if he if he steps up and is given the same amount of involvement as Steve Bold, then it's a complete waste of time. No, that's an interesting point. One of the main criticisms that gets levelled at various players in this current Arsenal squad is that they don't work hard enough. Do you think that Jungberg's going to be able to translate the way in which he was a workhorse into this current crop of players? Uh, yeah, I just again, it comes back to how much involvement he's given and what his actual specific duties are. I mean, if he's just si- if he's just sidelined, where well, obviously Emery's already got a first team coach and he coaches himself. If 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 Lumbo's given a role to, to to coach the youngsters within the squad, like a squad within a squad, then that's one thing. It's not necessarily the impact we're going to be looking for as a first team coach. So time will tell but certainly I think his energy and his enthusiasm and the fact that he's committed to progressing his own career I mean he, he could have easily stayed at Arsenal when when Jonker left and he, but he didn't he decided to go and become assistant manager in the Bundesliga he's ambitious he wants to progress but he wants to do it the right way he doesn't want to be given a role he wants to earn a role so a lot of people obviously Arsenal fans are commenting that if it doesn't work out for Emery they positioned someone even in the short term who could just step in which is another way of looking at it I suppose yeah get that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer <laughs> bounce on the go before the wheels inevitably come off we've of course discussed Dave the way in which Jungberg is probably being promoted as it were with a view to bringing these youngsters through so coming up let's focus in on the three Arsenal players who are in action at the under 21 European Championships it's Gwenduzi, Reese Nelson and Christian Bielek this is Love Sport. You're listening to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger of Gunnerstown. And we're talking the under-21 European Championships because there are Arsenal players in action, three of them and possibly three who could be involved with the first team next season. Dave, let's start with one who was very involved this year, Matteo Guendouzi. Did he surprise you when he turned up? Oh, no question. I mean, any Arsenal fan who tells you different will be will be lying. Uh, I don't. I think I don't think anybody thought he was being bought to play for the first team. I think I think everyone thought he was being bought as a as a bright young prospect. For whatever reason, he 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 starred in pre season. He did very well, and um, Emery obviously likes him. I would say a lot of Arsenal fans are undecided. They they got hooked by the incredible enthusiasm he shows on the pitch and the fact that he's a front foot forward sort of player always looking to go forward and when you've had you know we've had a few that aren't like that let's just say on any for example you know people who aren't looking to instantly move forward even Shaka um, would, would divide fans so the fact that he's, his first instinct was to go forward or pass forward was very very um, you know it was very positive and I think everyone liked that towards the end of the season fans started to turn on him uh, there were games that he was played perhaps with the wrong partner, i.e. Elneny again. And uh, he just, I think he was just overplayed. And mm. towards the end of the season, the things that were coming off at the beginning of the season weren't coming off. That that said, I don't, I'm not with the, the certain faction of the Arsenal fans who think, uh, you know, he's a dud. I think he's got a massive future. And I think we haven't seen, we've had him on this show, we've had French journalists, and he is not a defensive midfield player, which a lot of Arsenal fans seem to for some reason think he is what do you uh, think he is he, he, he's a he's a box-to-box midfield player now the question is you know is he is he the right person to be the partner of a defensive midfield player in a two-man midfield P- 
Possibly not. Would he be strong in a three-man field midfield with two behind him? Yes, he definitely would. We haven't had enough chance to see his final pass. Uh, I think passing um, is is an attribute that we haven't seen enough of, and I think time will tell. But he's, has he got a telling through ball from playing more advanced? I don't know. I'd he like to see some decent. Ones I'd like to see. It. Yeah, no, I'd like to see. It. I mean, I personally am a fan. I, yeah. I, I'm a fan, and I think for what we paid for him, you know, we, we've made our money and change. There yeah. are a lot of clubs in Europe already seem to be linked with him, so they're seeing something that some of our fans aren't seeing. I'm in the uh, pro Guendouzi camp, and his hair's great as well, yeah. which is always something. <laughs> Reese Nelson is a name that's been exciting. Arsenal playing fans. each other tomorrow night, of course, in the in this championship. Arsenal fans have been excited about Reese for a long time. He was used as a wing-back a fair bit under Wenger. That's not where he's at his best. No, no, that was just, I think, well, that was forced, wasn't it? Because Wenger sort of had that run at the end of the season where he went to a back three and Nelson was in that Europa League squad, so he played a bit in those positions. But I don't think that is his position. Um, and I think everyone seems to think he's a winger and you get all this, oh, if we sign Carrasco, if we sign Fraser, we're going to be we're going to be blocking Reese Nelson. I don't necessarily agree with that either. Um, I think he has played wide. I think I think he can play anywhere behind the front one, but I think he has to play in a four-two-three-one or a four-three-three. Uh, I don't think he can play in a four-four-two, and I don't think he can play in the in the in the system with which we finish the season with three at the back. So, again, pre-season is going to be interesting. I think he probably sees himself as a as a ten, a running ten. Um, we but, all see ourselves as running ten. Well, really I did until I did until yesterday when I pulled my groin after sprinting for four minutes. But um, <laughs> now I think. I think the person who's more likely to block his progress is if, if we do follow through on this seeming interest in the one we've talked about a lot on this show, which is Alexis, Alexis Claude Maurice, because I think, I think he's definitely uh, a second striker to play in the hole behind a main striker. But I don't think... We've got a lot of games next season. The Europa League always gives you a lot of games. Reese Nelson will play a lot of football. I think what's worrying some of the Arsenal fans is the interview where he said he hasn't actually spoken to Emery yet since he came back from yeah, Germany. Always good. That's always yeah. But I mean, I think he excites fans. He's always excited fans. He's one of those players that, as an, I mean, I don't. I, I'm not going to pretend that I watch the under 23s. I don't sit in front of my laptop on Arsenal.com watching under 23s. I don't have time. But he's one of those players that I would liken to a Jack Wilshere where everybody knew about him at under-15s, under-16s. He's that, he's that player. Mm. And Reese Nelson has been that player. Well, Iwobi wasn't, for example. You know, There no. are players that have come through, and even Nketiah wasn't. Joe Willock wasn't. Nelson was. Everyone's known, everyone at Arsenal has known about Reese Nelson for four years. Mm. So you sort of think maybe there's something special. Yeah, we've hope got, so. Yeah, exactly. We've got to hope. I'm interested by this idea of signings blocking his progress because obviously that's not the way of looking at it. But you jokingly on Twitter a few weeks back posted a potential Arsenal team featuring a lot of kids and various idiots didn't realise you were joking and had a go at you. <laughs> but there is an interesting point here because Arsenal are a team in transition. Is there a case for going, you know what, Reese Nelson, I'm not going to put you in the starting eleven, but you can play a significant role this year? Oh, I think he will. I do. I genuinely think he will. I think he'll be... Uh, I think he will be playing. I think he'll be playing more than just Europa League and Cup football this year. I think he will be... You know, if if Danny Welbeck had been fit, he would have been that, that sort of first, first change wide player all season. That's a role that's... Depending on the formation we play, that's a role that's available. Uh, and it... But equally, what I'm struggling with, the more I think about it, and every time I do think about it, I know from what I 
contacts I have at the club and what I hear, we are fighting to keep Lacazette and Aubameyang, you know, with improved contracts. There is no desire Arsenal Football Club to sell either player. In fact, with you know, I think we want to extend and improve their contracts, which has to mean playing two strikers. Mm. And if we're going to play two strikers, we've got this plethora of talent that are going to be competing for... And, and if some of the new ones come in, if it's Nelson and Claude Maurice or Fraser or whoever it may be, you know, Zayek's been linked again today. Mm. So, you know, there are going to... All these players, and then you add them to Obi and Ozil, and if we can't lose players, we've got a lot of people competing for two or three positions. That playing two up top, would that require the club to sign another striker as well? Because this young Martinelli kid surely isn't he's ready. A left, he's a left-sided striker though, isn't he? He's more of a winger, I think. And so, who's number three in Ketia? No, I, I do think they have a, they have, they do have high hopes for Ketia. So yeah, I think in that, if that's the case, he would be the third striker. Really? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So that's well, I don't think there's enough money unless we could. No. At the moment, we're struggling to make sales. If we make a lot of sales, we had this fun on the show last week that we can get up to 120 million in our kitty. But at the moment, they don't seem to be. Uh, we don't seem to be making those sales. So no. that's that's going to be the key factor in who we buy. But yeah, I mean, you can't see Lacazette or Aubameyang as they were at the start of the season, willing to sort of chop and change and sitting on the bench. And they're not those sort of players. No. Well, there has been some good news today, potentially, on the Lacazette front. Twitter has got very excited because Arsenal fans are looking at the potential transfer business of other clubs and saying, hang on a minute, we're safe. Lacazette is staying. His biggest two potential suitors, supposedly, were Barca and Atletico Madrid. The transfer of Jao Felix to Atletico is set to be confirmed for about €120 million. Euros. And then, of course, Atletico striker Griezmann could well be on his way to Barca. If both of those deals happen, is Lacazette staying? I don't. I never thought he was going. Yeah, I've, no, you know, I've never paid any credence to those thoughts. I think he's very happy. Yeah, and yeah. but we could well not see a bid. I suppose. Well, was there anything ever concrete other than media talk suggesting there was? I mean, but this this is transfer no, silly season. I don't know. Never no, I don't. Concrete. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's likely. The only the, the only way I thought it was likely that one of them would be allowed to leave is if we made a marquee. Like basically, Wilfred Zaha arriving would yeah. would signal one of those two leaving. If that happened, I can see one of them going. Aubameyang or Lacazette. If it's not happening, I don't see either of them leaving. Mm. Just a final word on our third player in operation at the Under Twenty One European Championships, Christian Bielik. Very impressive on loan at Charlton. Con- composed on the ball, ball playing defensive player. But is he good enough? Again, I, I'd love to think he is. He's been at the club a long time. He's very highly thought of. The fans like him. Everywhere he's been on loan, they've liked him. Birmingham liked him. You know, the Charlton fans absolutely worship him. They take him back in a flash next season. But I think he's in the last year of his contract, so decision time. You know, the, Emery's going to have to make a decision. And as I said earlier, I think it will be uh, this will be good for Emery to watch how he performs at this higher level. The other question he's got to... He's got a. I think the, the decision on Callum Chambers will impact Christian Bielek's future as well, yeah. because Callum Chambers obviously can play centre back and defensive midfield. So can Christian Bielek. Christian Bielek is not going to net fifteen twenty million. Callum Chambers is. So if Callum Chambers goes, I can see Bielek being given off offered an extension based on his current form and if he plays well in these games. Why mm. not? It would be great to see him in that first team. Coming up, time for our first ever Legend of the Week. This is Love Sport.
And our legend of the week this week is a player who Dave Seeger knows rather a lot about. You are, of course, Dave, the author of Geordie Armstrong on the Wing, Memories of George Armstrong. What does he mean to you? <laughs> well, I, he, was, he was still in the Arsenal team when I went to my first games in 1976. My first game he was playing uh, on the left of a 4-4-2, uh, where he had played as a winger for Arsenal since 1961. So I saw him at the at the very end of his career. But in that season, 76-77, I, I think he came runners-up in Players Player of the Year to Andy Gray, and he was about 34 at the time. So he'd been playing for Arsenal consistently since 1961 when he made his debut against uh, Blackpool, age 17. So 621 games for Arsenal. Um, only Adams and O'Leary have played more, and he was he was known at, at the time. And it's there's, the other people would lay claim to a quote along these lines, but I think somebody once said, I know who said it, Steve Burton, shortly on the Arsenal coach, the greatest English player never to play for England, because of course Ramsey chose in '65, '66 to 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 go into the World Cup without wingers. Ram, as Ramsey's side were called the wingless wonders. Geordie was the best winger in the league at the time, and was probably consistently through till. 73, 74. So about eight years, he was arguably the best winger in the English Division One as it was then, and never got an England cap. He got B that's caps a, that's and under three. Well, it? it was it was one of those things. If you interviewed the people I interviewed, like Ray Kennedy, when we won our first trophy after a sort of thirteen year, or sorry, where are we? Sixteen year drought. It was it was um, it was Geordie that was instrumental in that in that winning game against Anderlecht. Then we won in the league in nineteen seventy one at White Hart Lane. He folklore because he put the crossover for Ray Kennedy we won the league at White Hart Lane he was players player of the year and fans player of the year in, in the double season of 71 so that's how good he was in that side the, the, the unfortunate thing is even in all the research and all the interviews I did for the book of course he didn't have stats in those days <laughs> but you know if there were stats I think you can safely say he would no one in the Premier League era would have broken his assist record because he could cross on a sixpence, wherever the strikers, Kennedy and Radford primarily, latterly, sort of the people of Brian Kidd, Frank Stapleton and the, at the end of his career at Arsenal. But he was just unbelievable. And someone asked a question on Twitter this week, actually, who's, who's the best two-footed player you've ever seen live? And everyone was answering, because they're younger fans. Everyone, everyone was saying Cazorla. And, and Cazorla was very, very Geordie-esque. The difference with Geordie was, Geordie could do it from either foot on a six-point. He wasn't... Cazorla's the best two-footed player I've seen in recent years because the position he played, certainly laterally, as, as a deeper midfield player, you know, with playing with his face to goal, you, if you were behind him as an opposition player, the joy of Cazorla was he could turn either way and start the attack. Even though, even though Geordie was a winger, he was exactly the same. So he would receive the ball from Bob McNabb on the left or even straight from Bob Wilson and he would add that which way am I going to go and they never knew so he would not only would he finish the attacks but he would start the attacks and they he was like Freddie Lundberg to link another neat segue because he was that <laughs> player described by everyone I interviewed and we're talking about I mean people like Alan Ball Martin Peters not just Pete Bobby Charlton not just people at Arsenal I interviewed loads of people I interviewed George Cohen who played in the World Cup at right back I interviewed full backs he played against and everyone said he was just the fittest player they'd ever seen Really? And as a winger with the skill and flair as well as the pace, you, you tackled him, he just got up and laughed at you. He didn't care. He just loved football and he just he was just an absolute legend. Then of course, after his playing career finished, he transferred to Leicester, didn't really work out. Frank McClintock, who then taken as manager of Leicester, signed him and Eddie Kelly. Didn't really work out for him there. A little spell at Stockport and then just retired and became a coach. And after successful spells, 
you know, as a coach. Um, in fact, he was actually a coach of the first team the, the year that Aston Villa won the championship. So everyone forgets that because he left at Christmas because he got a manager's job in Norway. He went to Norway for 18 months. Then he managed in QA on the Gulf. Very successful out there. Until 1990 with the Gulf War and George Graham said, come home, mate. So he came over and took over as a reserve team manager. Obviously a team that had just won the league. Uh, Stuart Houston was promoted to assistant manager or first team coach and Geordie took over the reserves and of course in those days it was a reserve league where you were home and away if you mm. the first team was playing Tottenham home the reserves were playing and a reserve team manager's job then was more important and, and bigger than a a manager's job in the second tier so he, he took that job he just loved the club and mm. then he was there under Rioch he survived Graham going he survived Rioch going and then he worked with Wenger and uh, he would have a Wenger joke with him on the Monday uh, that you know you're so fit, Jordy. You could play for the reserves. You, you, <laughs> no, you could play for the first team because this was when Wenger had started playing. It's 2000. He started playing the 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 uh, reserves in the in the what was then probably the Milk Cup or the Carling Cup, whatever it was called. Yeah. The guys, and he joked with Jordy on the on the that week that you could play against uh, Ipswich in the Carling Cup or its equivalent, and because uh, he was that fit. And then uh, that the next day he collapsed on the pitch at Colney. And uh, had a brain hemorrhage and uh, and survived. The, um, was taken to hospital, didn't survive the night. And um, yeah, so that game that they joked about him playing in was, you know, black armbands and everything and, and tribute to Geordie. So it was, uh, and the pitch at Colney is the George Armstrong Memorial pitch. Which is as it should be, very, yeah. very sad end, but a loved man. And Oh my God, yeah. Where, where for you in terms of your personal Arsenal legends, where does he rank? Well, it's a tough one because <laughs> the position he played in, of course, I saw him at the end of his career and highlights. I mean, I did see him play live, so you know, I have that, I have that privilege. But of course, I, I grew up with Brady, who actually, when he came from Ireland, lived next door to Geordie. Geordie found him his house. Geordie was the mentor to him. Liam Brady's godparent to uh, Geordie's daughters. Geordie's uh, um, daughter Jill, her, one of her children, he's godparent too. So he was very, very. He was much of a mentor to the young players coming through. But if I had to be entirely honest. Bobby Perez. <laughs> if, I, really? if, I, if I'm picking that four four two, I think Geordie would probably just miss out for me to Robert Perez. But it'd be close. And if you had, if you were allowed a squad of eighteen today yeah. with five or six subs, Geordie yeah. would be on my bench. And if you need, because he because he could come on either side. You see, and then so, yeah, and against uh, an already knackered yeah. fullback. So you'd have. I mean, I'd have David Rocky Rowcastle on the right and Perez on the left. But Geordie could come on for either. No problem. <laughs> well, Geordie Armstrong, a fantastic player, and I think well deserving of being our first ever legend. great great kit to buy as well. Great kit to buy, our first ever Legend of the Week. This is Love Sport. It's the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and Dave Seeger of Gunnerstown. And our discussion about Geordie Armstrong, our first ever Legend of the Week, ran over into the break. And Dave, you were explaining to me how he was someone who really understood the identity of the club and how mm. that's about bringing the kids Yeah, no, it really was. I mean, if you, I mean, some of the interviews and the players I spoke to and, and, and the, the foreign players coming in because obviously the link to the first and second team in those days was very close so people like Bergkamp like Freddie Lundberg would, would look to Geordie because Geordie was the one who would tell them all about Arsenal what it meant to play for Arsenal so if you ask Dennis Bergkamp who told you what it meant to be yeah, he would say Geordie Armstrong but it was interesting because the Arsenal way in those days obviously blazer tie it was very much the Arsenal the class thing but it was more than that it was and Geordie epitomised it. It was the education of the players to be more than just footballers. What, mm. what, like as David Rowcastle later said, you know, 
that great quote uh, remember who you are you know and who you represent but that was came from that 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 earlier team that 71 team that lived through and Geordie epitomized it so and he he it was about respecting others respecting the teams you play against looking at the wider position looking at be, being responsible you're a footballer but you're responsible you people look up to you all that thing is the Arsenal way and the Arsenal education. And the reason I wanted to raise it is because going back to the earlier part of the show when we were talking about the, the youth academy and the players coming through, what wasn't mentioned on the Arsenal uh, website today, because they mentioned Per Mertesacker as being head of the academy and that transition from under-18s to under-23s to the first team, the under-18s manager is Greg Lincoln. And Greg Lincoln played many years for Geordie in the reserves, didn't quite make it at Arsenal, went on to have a, a career in the lower leagues at Northampton and so forth. But Greg Lincoln is now the under-18s coach. And that legacy uh-huh. is still and there. And he would say, <laughs> the I, I owe everything to Geordie Armstrong. Absolutely. That identity remains. And of course, there's now a new generation of young kids coming through, hoping to epitomise just that. Could one be young William Saliba, currently playing for Great link. Etienne? I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Robin Berner, who's a French football expert. Good evening, Robin. Thanks for joining us. How good is this kid? Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, he's he's an outstanding talent. Um, although we've not really seen a whole lot of him in France yet, um, he's played 16 league on matches. He's played less than 1,300 minutes of, of top level football for Saint Etienne. Um, but when he has played, he's looked highly impressive. Uh, he looks extremely composed in the ball, reads the game superbly. Uh, physically, he's he's well developed for an 18 year old. Uh, so he looks like he's got all the attributes to to go to the very top and among the, among the people that he's impressed in the past is, is Jose Mourinho who, who is obviously somebody who knows like a great deal about defensive football so if, if you're getting praise from Mourinho as an 18 year old uh, you, you must be doing something right. Yeah Robin I think what interests me is Dave here um, what I find surprising I, I recognise everything you're saying I've read about him I've spoken to people about him he's a, he's a back-footed defender and we've got a lot of front-footed defenders who try and intercept so it's something we need more like a Murtisaka type who reads the game and, and we patiently wait and, and will tackle a player from behind rather than try and intercept and we need that but what I don't understand is this concept that we'll spend £18 million on an unproven player and then loan him back I understand the concept of doing that, but if we've got as little money as everyone says we've got, that's quite a lot of money to spend on somebody that we're not actually going to be able to play in the first team when we could be spending it on someone who could play in the first team. So what's your take and what have you heard about this idea that we might loan him back and is there any sense in that? Yeah, I mean, I would I would have to kind of agree with you there. Um, I mean, he, he's a player that I think personally needs an experienced player alongside him to develop. Um, he's been treated with... with uh, some some caution at Saint and he's not he wasn't thrown in at the deep end. Um, initially, he was used away from home because the coach Jean Louis Gasset felt that there'd be less pressure on him. Um, you know, he, he proved himself and played well enough to, to break into the team on a, on a permanent basis. Head of uh, former former Dortmund defender Nevin Subotic. Um but I, I believe that if he's going to succeed in the Premier League, he probably needs somebody that's experienced and of quality beside him. And I'm not necessarily sure that Arsenal have got that player at the moment. Um, and as you say, if they're going to spend £18 million on him, it's, uh, you know, they, they want to see the best of him. And I, I don't think they can get the best of him initially this season coming. So perhaps loaning him back would be an option. Um, but as you say, they, they don't have enough money to go out and, 
and um, well, whether they want a player for for now, I suppose. I guess it depends and, and how the deal. For now. Yeah, I guess it depends how the deal structured and when the payments are made. I mean, if it, if it's a, if it is that sort of arrangement, maybe only half the fee will be payable now and half next summer or something. I, I guess that's what we don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, but as you say, it, it does seem it does seem a strange sort of move for Arsenal, considering they want a centre back. Now, I, I don't think he's necessarily the, the player to take Arsenal's defence forward next season. If they signed him, you know, maybe two or three years down the line, he could be a, a really high quality player that that would fit into the into the team. I guess they're linked to Anderson as well, aren't they? In uh, who's, who's playing for Sam yeah, Doria, the right. Danish centre backs, just just a bit and, older. Uh, there. He's, but he's not a great deal older, and uh, no. You know, um, he's, he's perhaps in, in the same sort of situation to an extent. Is Saliba expected to start for Saint-Étienne next year? Is he rated as good enough to play most games in Ligue 1? Yes, I don't think there's any doubt about that now. Um, as I say, initially this year he was treated very cautiously. They didn't want to put too much pressure on him, but his form was so good in the second half of the season that he he really couldn't be ignored. Uh, Nevin Subotic, who's quite a well-known defender in, in Europe is going to be released by the looks of it um, and I don't think there's any doubt that, that um, Saliba sorry, would start alongside Loic Perrin uh, in the heart of San Etienne's defence I, I think he's he's a player that's has proven himself to be more than good enough for league on this season How far do you think he can go in the game Robin? Do you think we're looking at a real world-class central defender in the future? Yeah, possibly um, He's been compared to Lilian Turan because he can play as a fullback as well, but I think it's it's, it's possibly more he's, he's possibly more of a sort of Raphael Varane style defender. Um, he's come through from Bondi, uh, which is where Kylian Mbappe was was born. He was brought up, um, coached by Kylian Mbappe's father uh, in his formative years, and you know he, he's he's got that sort of drive that Mbappe's got. He's had to work hard to get where he is things haven't necessarily come particularly easy for him. Um, he was only picked up by San Etienne um, three years ago, so he's only really just kind of broke into the big time, if you like. Um, he's not necessarily come through the academy system at big clubs, um, so he has had to work hard. He seems to be a player who's, who's regarded as extremely mature, and it does seem that he's he's destined for the very top because of his maturity and his attitude towards the game. So uh, uh, thanks for that, uh, Robin. While we've got you, we might as well ask you about the other hot hot story uh, linking Arsenal to a French player. It's something I've I've spoken to you probably in the past about because I've certainly been covering this story on my, on my site for some time. We had a blog on uh, Claude Maurice in February because uh, we knew Arsenal were scouting him. But mm-hmm. that that story seems to be bubbling up, and it if you believe most reports, including sort of quite some serious links in France, it's just a case of you know Arsenal up in the bid by a couple of million to secure that deal. Is that what you're hearing? Yeah, um, it does seem like Alexis Claude Maurice could move to Arsenal. Um, I don't think Lyon should be discounted at the moment, although it does seem to be that Arsenal are, are the favourites for him. He's another very promising young player, although he's not managed to prove himself at the top level yet with Lorient because obviously they're in, in League 2. But um, having seen the success of Matteo Guendouzi at, um, at Arsenal this year, uh, there's nothing to stop him. They're good, they're, good, they're, they're good friends as well, so... Yeah, that's right, um, and obviously that's going to play a part in, in, in the deal you'd imagine. Um, and he's a, he's a, as I say, a highly talented young player. Um, but it would be surprising if he was to have exa- the same sort of immediate impact that that Gwen Doozy's had. Although uh, Claude Maurice has probably got a, a, a stronger grounding, if you like, coming to or potentially going to Arsenal. Yeah, 
Robin, if you had to give us one more talent plying their trade in France who could improve Arsenal for the here and now, who would you go for? Please don't say Neymar. <laughs> Can I go for Mbappe then? <laughs> Someone we could get. Um, uh, I, I would probably say uh, Martin Terry at Lyon's a, a, a very, very strong attacker that I like. Um, he's been he's been quite underrated, or, or perhaps even Moussa Dembele at, at Lyon as well as a as a strong centre forward. Um, it could be that he moves this summer, um, and he's probably an Arsenal sort of ballpark. Um, you know, this is the this is the, the ex Celtic player we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's been linked with Manchester United as well. Um, he's not necessarily been used as, as much as he would have liked at Leon. So I, I think it's possible that there could be a, a potential for a move there. And, and he's he finished the season as Leon's top scorer. In my opinion, he played better than Fakir and, and Memphis Depay over the course of the season. Yeah. Um, I guess Malcolm's the other yeah. one that was previously seen heavily linked with Arsenal and obviously he isn't getting any football to speak of really for a player of his yeah, talent. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, mm-hmm. but that, those links, have sort of, they were last season, if you like, January and summer. They haven't, they haven't re-emerged, which surprises me. Yeah, um, obviously he's, he's struggling for football at uh, Barcelona, but uh, yeah, he's, he's another player that could, could be a, a strong addition and it, certainly in, in France he, he proved himself as, a, as an excellent player, albeit perhaps a little bit erratic and maybe that's not quite what Arsenal want. No, I suspect not. Robin, it's been lovely speaking to you. Thanks ever so much for Thanks, your Robin. time. Robin Berner there, French football expert, who of course mentioned Moussa Dembele, currently of Lyon, formerly of Celtic. Could the Gunners set to be raiding Scotland? Mm, possibly. We'll find out in just a moment's time. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the Arsenal Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio and the Gunners are being linked with Celtic's exciting young left-back Kieran Tierney. I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Richard Wilson, who is a Scottish football expert. Good evening, Richard. Thanks for joining us. Tierney is Celtic through and through. Can Arsenal or anybody else persuade him to leave? Hello? Uh, Stunned silence. (laughs) Oh, can you hear me? We can hear you. Yeah, yeah. It's got to be for big money um, if Celtic are to be tempted. Tierney is, at the end of the day, the sort of player who, if he decides he wants to stay with the club, will be captain, will be there till the end of his career. As you say, he is Celtic through and through. Um, but as as we know, money talks and Celtic, uh, in particular, are sort of a, a funny club in so much as even a sacred cow such as Kieran Tierney is probably available to the right buyer for the right price. And what is the right price? Because I know, I mean, I do know that Arsenal are involved in conversations and I, I understand the player's not averse to the move, but I know we're not the only club will be interested and I know we're not the only club his people will be talking to. So, you know, what is the likely price? Have you heard? I, I think the real price is probably around about 20 million. Which yeah. I mean, it seems steep for a left back, but not really. Bettini, his calibre, um, you know, we're probably not that far away from most Scotland fans thinking he was a better left back than Andy Robertson, and we we see what he he's done uh, this season with Liverpool. I mean, obviously that's partly finding the right club. If Arsenal can be the right club for Bettini, then that's going to be an incredible move uh, for him. But I, mean, I say twenty million in the grand scheme of things for a left back from a Scottish club is an incredible sum of money for a extremely rich English Premiership side. Uh, 
it's a, it's a drop in the pond. <laughs> Although <laughs> Arsenal apparently also Arsenal don't have the uh, the sugar daddy that the rest yeah, of them have, so quite, they're not, not extremely rich. Quite a large part of the puddle, I think, Richard. How good is Tierney in the scale of left backs currently playing in the Premier League? Where roughly would you place him? Um, I mean, as I mentioned, sort of maybe a year ago, people would have had him on par with Andy Robertson. Um, now Robertson's you know, taken a big move on, and that, a lot of that's thanks to Jurgen Klopp. And you probably talk about Robertson being the best left back in the world at this present time. If you're talking about Tierney, his progress this season has been stunted a little bit by injury, but he's probably not a million miles away from that. From that, he really put in the right team, given the right chance. He's certainly still certainly best ten left backs in the world. Really? I think what Arsenal fans like about it is we have this dilemma at the club at the moment in that we've had a fantastic left back in Nacho Monreal, who is simply just not able to do the job week in, week out, which is fair enough. I mean, he's been a legend for us and we really love him. He's a fan's favourite, but he's just, just perhaps the wrong side of... Uh, of his best at the moment. And then we've got Sayed Klazanak, who's reasonably popular with the fans, but he definitely isn't a left-back. He's a wing-back. So we have this dilemma that we've got a left-back who's a very good left-back, but is past his best, and we've got a younger left-wing-back. So what I think what Arsenal fans like about Tierney is he's a traditional left-back who likes tackling, but he's equally good going forward. So he, he combines the best of what we currently have and what, therefore, is what we need. I mean, you know, certainly used to playing in in both formations. I'd be it, you know, the four at the back with him, sort of as you say, traditional left back. Or um, as Brendan Rodgers used to play a, a lot with three at the back at Celtic, and Tierney as a left wing back, bombing up the bombing up the flank. I mean, he is a, a traditionally a more uh, defensive player. Um, I mean, I sort of keep comparing him to Robertson. Um, as he is the easiest comparison for a Scott to go to. Um, the two times they were put on the left flank together, it was Tierney behind Robertson. Yeah. Um, all to fit. I mean, you know, Tierney shifted to right back where he didn't perform perfectly, but he certainly performed creditably enough. But also, if we've got Bellerin, who's who's a more attacking fullback, you, you, sometimes that counterbalance is not a bad thing. I I liken it to the Pirate. You know, if one if one side goes forward, the other side should be staying back. And under Wenger, that was a problem for Arsenal. So I think it's quite good to have, you know, an opposite thinking. You know, a left back that's more defensive and a right back that's more attacking. I don't think that's a bad thing. It counterbalances. Yeah, and and Tierney has the height and the physical attributes to tuck in slightly more central as well. Um, so if you do have that uh, sort of right-hand side going forward, pushing forward, you can have him come in, have it slightly narrower, have it slightly more difficult for teams to break down uh, if you know, if you get counted on. Yeah, which is exactly what Nacho would have done at his, you know, at his peak, definitely. Mm-hmm. Richard, what's Tierney like on the ball? Because the modern fullback needs to be able to play a pass in field, needs a final ball from out wide as well. Is he a ball player? You have to be to get in that Brendan Rodgers side. Now, whether he's the ball player consistently under the slightly more um, athletic, slightly more pressured uh, intensity of the English Premier League, that's still to be tested. He's performed well enough at uh, Champions League at Europa League level. You certainly very rarely, if ever, attribute a, a mistake to him. But, I mean, it's, He'll never well, fit in the Arsenal defence then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's important to, to point out there is that slight difference between uh, the, the Scottish and the English League. We have seen a lot of players who have thrived in the Scottish League and then gone on to even great heights in the English League. I mean, it's not just Robertson. It's obviously uh, Stuart Armstrong, Virgil van Dijk, John McGinn uh, of, of most recently. There's no reason why Tierney wouldn't uh, 
similarly see a great advancement in his talents by playing with better opposition, playing with better players week in, week out, playing against better opposition week in, week out, and playing in somewhere where uh, there's that little bit more emphasis, a little bit more advancement of uh, the physical attributes of his game. I mean, he's, he's got it already, uh, but with the advancements in sports science that, you, that we see all along, that the richest clubs are able to afford, you have that extra boost in, in stamina, that extra boost in pace, in, in, in strength that he wouldn't get otherwise. Richard, just finally, England fans like to be quite rude about the Scottish League and suggest that it's at some woeful level. Tierney is the only player in that division I've seen linked with Arsenal, but are there other players in there who you think would be genuine assets to Premier League clubs? Well, look at the lad. He just transferred to Villa. Crikey, what a player he is. Oh, John McGinn. Yeah, what a player. Exactly. I mean, McGinn's a great example. I mean, he was there at Hibs. He was linked to Celtic last season. And I think everyone would freely admit Celtic uh, messed up quite badly in allowing him to go to Aston Villa, not putting in a competitive bid. Yeah. Uh, currently, you have David Turnbull of Motherwell, who is going through the very same process as McGinn was last season, having a bid in from Celtic that isn't competitive enough. He's going to end up going to, uh, I think, current link is Brighton, and he will um, advance very well for that. He's been an absolutely brilliant player this season. Uh, Celtic themselves, you've got Odson Edouard, um, who is certainly the, the, the equal of uh, Moussa Dembele, who moved last season to uh, Lyon and became the, the, their top scorer. Uh, you've also got Callum McGregor as well in the middle, and he's uh, been linked with uh, a move to England as well. That one... It uh, certainly seems quite likely because there are rumours that he and Neil Lennon don't get along that well. Um, it was, I, I could certainly see him becoming a really high-class midfielder uh, if he was to take that leap. Interesting. Well, that's a wonderful tip, Richard. Thank you ever so much. Lovely to speak to you. Richard Wilson there, who is a Thanks, Scottish Richard. football expert, enlightening us on what Kieran Tierney could bring, not just to Arsenal, but the Premier League. That left-back slot, Dave, that is a big one for Arsenal this summer. Yeah, no, it is, because there is no one coming through, I don't think, that's ready to step up as well. So it is definitely a signing. Um, unless unless he decides definitively that he is going to play three at the back in, and keep two up front. In and which, are you happy in with which, in, Well, in that formation, yeah. I mean, he definitely faded a little bit at the end of the season. But, I mean, you know, he, he made a lot of chances and, you know, and had many assists from that position. And it, 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 it gets the best of him, um, Certainly, he's an accurate crosser as well. So, no, I mean, I, if we're going to stay with three, then I'm happy with saying Klasenak, yes. If we're not, but I think I think what he's going to want to do is flip between the two. And I think, as as Robin, uh, not Robin, <laughs> as Richard just described, that you want someone who can fit comfortably into both positions, which Nacho, two years ago, easily could. Hmm. Say, say, I just can't do it. Are you a bit sceptical that Arsenal seem to be closer to completing the signing of a right-back than a left back. Thomas Mounier is still being talked about. He's a good player. But yeah, it's gone very quiet. Does yeah. it make sense? I don't. You know, Tommy. I think what's going on here, and I don't think. I mean, I'm not going to be. I know more than other people, but I'm just being logical here. You know, Arsenal are not going to make a single signing before the first of July. Fact. You know, we are moving from Puma to Adidas. They are not going to reveal a new signing in a, in a Puma <laughs> shirt. It's That's just absolutely nailed on that anybody we sign even if it's done, will not be announced until the 1st of July. We will not be revealing players in a Puma shirt. It's just not going to happen. So, And if you look last year, when everyone was applauding Arsenal, in fact, Chris, my you know colleague who couldn't be bothered to be here tonight, um, 
wrote a very interesting uh, a tweet the other day where he actually showed the dates of all the signings last year. They were all in July. And everyone was applauding Arsenal for doing their business early last summer. <laughs> and yet social media and the press are, so, are back to Arsenal are dithering. It's June. It's the middle of June. You know, it's not July. We've got plenty of time ahead of pre-season to make the signings. And I think you'll see a rush in the first week of July. That's my prediction. Is there an argument as well that when the club or if the club start announcing some signings, it then makes it easier to make the next ones because oh. other players will look at a Tierney or a... Saliba maybe yeah. even and go hang on a minute well if he's going there I might do the same but also not only not only in the attraction of the club but also in the oh I can understand because Emery's now going to be able to say well look you can see I've bought that player mm. and this is the position I'm going to play him because this is the the formation I'm in the bulk in the main I'm going to go to this 4-2-3-1 for example and then Claude Maurice knows he, he's got a position in the 4-2-3-1 Nelson can step up into a 4-2-3-1 if he says actually I'm going to go I'm going to go three, four, one, two. Then those players aren't going to come. Do you think so? He's that's going to be that that's open. when we'll know. Well, I think he has to be. I mean, not for the young players necessarily, mm. but if he's going after a Tierney or if he's going after someone who's playing regular first team football in Sandoria, he's going to have to promise them regular first team football and and in what formation? Not promise, but discuss. So mm. yes, I think you're right, but I think that's why I think. The summer move is going to be so interesting because it's going to tell us, and then quickly after that we'll see the first preseason games, and we'll see what formation he goes to. What's the what's the go-to formation? What happens if he signs players specifically for a formation, and for whatever reason the team doesn't gel in that system? Well, he's got to be flexible as he has been all season. But I do think, I do think the test was always going to be the second season when he's got all the players he wants, and not been able to sign anybody in January was other than a Crocs. You know, croc on loan, which was which was never going to be fair to judge him. I think the other issue is, I think the issue is always going to be, is he the man to keep two of the top strikers in the league happy at the same time? And if he if he's and is he strong enough to say, look, I'm going to rotate systems, I'm going to rotate formations. Sometimes Uber, you're not going to play because I'm going to play four two three one, and I've now got a better option on the left of a four two three one than you. Because the start of last season, that was Danny Welbeck. It wasn't Aubameyang. No. So we just we just can't tell. And I think, as I say, I've always said it: that the signings will start to reveal. Well, we can only hope, and you're going to have to stay with us right here at the Arsenal Fan Show throughout the summer as they do start trickling through. See you then. <laughs> Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter.